0: Well, I think the thing with balance is that it's very precarious as a word, isn't it? Because you're, you know, if you think about a bicycle, you might be balanced some of the time and unbalanced other bits of the time. So I tend to move away from the word balance and think more about boundaries. And I think it is possible to have some boundaries between work and home. And I think it is possible for organizations to help employees and their teams a lot with those boundaries. So to really help them make a definition between when you're focused and when you're working and when you're doing other things.
1: Success in business is simply not what it used to be. If you want to thrive in an ever evolving business environment, you must first change your mindset. Hello everyone and welcome to Unlocking the Boardroom podcast, an exclusive masterclass for business executives who want to drive change from the top. I am Diana Markaki, proud founder of The Boardroom, the first private club of the most influential women executives in Europe and around the world. At Unlocking the Boardroom, we unpack the challenges and opportunities of this brave new world, writing the first Boardroom manual for the future generation of leaders. Today's masterclass is focused on achieving the coveted work-life balance, looking for answers to key questions like, is there ever a perfect work-life balance? How can we manage our time and energy to avoid burnout? What are the key challenges for the future of work? To help me answer these questions, I have with me today, Christine Armstrong, renowned researcher and author, expert in the future of work also happens to be my favourite vlogger. If you haven't seen her vlog, I strongly encourage you to do so. Christine has a unique way of summarising lengthy and complicated research in an extremely entertaining way. Christine, welcome to the Boardrooms podcast. Where are you joining us from today? So I'm in my house, which is in the UK. It's in outside
0: of Winchester, which is just south of London.
1: Oh, wonderful. Well, greetings from Zurich. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, Christine, I'm a huge fan of your weekly vlog. Thank you. That's very kind. So how did this venture get started? Well, I'm a researcher
0: into the future of work and I also speak about the things that we find. So we do a lot of interviews with people about Um, the world of work and how it's going for them, what works, what doesn't around the world. And then we also put that together with the big data, which is coming out all of the time. And in March, 2020, I had lots of speaking events booked. I think I did, I don't know, 17 or 18 events in that March of 2020. Amazing! I did one every day the week before lockdown and then lockdown came and suddenly everything cancelled, of course. And so I was sitting there thinking, huh, what (laughs) else do I do now? How do I talk to people? So um, Philippe, who I worked with, said, you know, I've talked to you for ages. It was really his idea about doing a vlog. And maybe this is the moment. So on the day before the shops all closed, my husband drove all the way around London to find the latest iPhone and some microphones and lights. (laughs) And then we just went. It was a bit crazy.
1: Um, So you're a mother, you're a researcher, you're an author, an amazing public speaker, you're an entrepreneur. So, Christine, I need to ask, I mean, how do you manage to keep everything together? I'm pretty focused about what I do. I work very intensively
0: for short periods. I've got much, much better switching off and having real periods of relaxation and turning out and then being really, really focused. I very, very highly prized sleep and um, really focus on my sleep quality. I have a Fitbit that tracks my sleep quality and I think about that quite a lot. And I think that regular exercise, being outside with the dog, running, walking, whatever, playing, uh, all
1: helps. And, and the pandemic, indeed, it seems that, you know, it brought actually the future of work forward to today. And we have this new work patterns that we formed in crisis now becoming our next normal. So what are, in your opinion, the challenges of these flexible work boundaries? Uh, has this new normal made it more difficult for people to actually achieve the desired work-life balance?
0: Well, the way that I look at it is I describe us now having gone from one working model, essentially, where everyone was at the office. Uh, Some people maybe worked a bit of remote and flexibly, but the default was everybody to the office, to what I now see as six different potential working models. So you have the traditional model, everybody's in the office, and then you have fully remote where perhaps there is no office or there's just an office for meetings. And then in between those places, you have work from anywhere, which is remote but you get together every few weeks to talk about your strategy or meet socially and do training then you have two kinds of hybrid you have fixed hybrid where you go in uh, agreed days every week or fluid hybrid when you go in whenever you're needed. And then you have the four-day week, which is really on the rise, I think, as a model. So, now we have six models. And what really matters is that employees can choose uh, to look at companies and evaluate them based on the model that they're offering alongside the salary or other benefits they want. And that is really exciting, I think, for work-life boundaries, for people being able to take more control over their working lives. Because the problem we had before COVID and what I was studying and what I experienced was that work was great, it was fine if you had nothing else that you needed to do. But as soon as you had something else you needed to do, whether that's care for other people or you have a, a hobby that you're passionate about, or you know you want to do volunteer work. Whatever it is, it didn't work because of technology and work, in particularly in knowledge-based jobs, was taking up so much time that people were very, very stressed and overwhelmed.
1: Absolutely, and you know, personal well-being is is a key component to, to happiness. We don't want, as you said, you know, overstressed employees. Um, so when we talk about work-life balance, you know, usually we imagine you know having an extreme productive day at work, then leaving the office early to spend the other half of the day with friends and family. I mean, it sounds ideal, but is it realistic? So, so I'm just wondering, is there a perfect work-life balance?
0: Well, I think the thing with balance is that it's very precarious as a word, isn't it? Because you're you know, if you think about a bicycle, you might be balanced some of the time and unbalanced other bits of the time. So I tend to move away from the word balance and think more about boundaries. And I think it is possible to have some boundaries between work and home. And I think it is possible for organizations to help employees. And their teams a lot with those boundaries so to really help them make a definition between when you're focused and when you're working and when you're doing other things now lots of organizations don't do that at the moment and lots of freelancers myself included are sometimes not very good at it either So we have to really think hard. And I do think that the next phase of work will be about managing those boundaries better, because what we want is we want people to be productive and also to feel satisfied with their work. And the problem we have at the moment is people are so overwhelmed by communication. Some people call it communication confetti. You know, so many beeping so many messages all the time that they can't do the real work. And that leads to them feeling very burnt out. There's new data out last week, which suggests that in a lot of countries, 40, 45, nearly 50% of people say they're burnt out some or all of the time, which is enormous numbers. Um, So we also this low worker satisfaction with their job because at the end of Friday, they think, what have I done? I've answered 5,000 messages, but I haven't issued that report or written that article or issued that invoice or signed that contract or that deal. Whatever it was I was supposed to do, I've just responded to messages. And I think the best organizations are helping people manage that much better.
1: So, how do you prioritize your personal and professional commitments? Um, you know, how do you manage time and energy in order to avoid this burnout, as as you mentioned? Do you have any specific tips for us?
0: Well, first of all, I think you have to be really realistic about your lifestyle at the moment because i get recommended a lot of books about productivity and a lot of them are written by men who either don't have children or don't appear to care for those children and the advice that they give me is very much like taking driving lessons from somebody who drive who, you know who drives in computer games but has never actually been in a real car because the advice that you know i should only clean my house on a sunday or perhaps I should only have my telephone on for one hour per day when I've got three schools calling and three children in different sports and activities is completely useless to me. So I think you have to be very realistic about who you take advice from. With that said, what I find helps me is one thing that my husband, and, and I've gone on a real journey with this, you know, in my 20s and early 30s, I worked all the hours and I loved it and it was fun and I've really had to learn to think differently about my time. So one of the things my husband's always Been really good at is prioritizing family time and very small things like when we decided to send our children to a super local school to really enjoy the walk to school in the morning, to drop the children off and then really enjoy the walk home and chat to each other. And where possible, we both do that it's not possible. I mean, sometimes I'm traveling, you know, I'm speaking, whatever, but if I'm home, I try to do that. And that gives me a really nice bookends to the day. I track my energy levels. So I organize my diary in the morning. I'm really clear thinking and I can get really complicated tasks done in the afternoon my energy drains so I tend to put in calls and other things that give me more energy I'm much more conscious of managing my energy than I ever was uh, before I had kids
1: well, I love all those tips and and indeed it we need to be conscious about you know managing our, our energy because it's definitely not endless um but you know still I feel that when we're having these discussions about you know work-life balance or you know boundaries as you mentioned, and, and I love that word, I think all that discussion predominantly uh, revolves around women or at least more than compared to, to men. So we're often accused of, you know, wearing too many hats or, you know, having a full time job while managing our home and our spouse and, and the kids all at the same time. So why do you think this is the case that, you know, women are more, you know, receiving that pressure than men? so there's a very
0: good book by Eve Rodsky called fair Play which really and it's American the data's very American but it really analyzes the balance of tasks in heterosexual couples so who does what and one of the things that she said that really resonated with me is that very often women's jobs in a household are things like uh, making the children's dinner getting them ready for school in the morning taking them to and from school those sorts of things and often men's jobs are things like managing managing. managing technology, managing insurance, finances, managing storage, the garage, the attic. And the difference between those tasks is that women's jobs have to be done every day At very specific times, and that men's jobs can be fitted in around other things. Now, that historically goes back to the idea that men were breadwinners and that women were carers and nurturers of the people around us. And the problem we have now is that many of us were socialized with that view in mind, but the reality is that we're all working full time. And so the pressure adds up on women. So the things to think about are really about the balance of tasks in your household, being really if you have a partner, being really analytical about who does what and the time that it takes and having those big conversations. Um, it's about getting as much help as you can afford. And it's really interesting, the data. I did a blog on this a couple of years ago uh, with a Harvard professor a professor called Ashley Willens, who talks about the fact that even when you think you can't afford help, so perhaps getting somebody to help you clean your house um, or to help you uh, prepare meals or, or outsourcing the delivery of food boxes, whatever it is, although you might feel that it's expensive, actually the benefits psychologically are huge and people underestimate the benefits that they get from them. And she talks about driving, changing her own patterns instead of driving to work and getting stressed and parking and all those things. She decided to get a taxi, which felt very indulgent, but actually freed up her day and made her much more productive. So I think we have to be honest about the help that we need. And I think we have to really work hard in our own households to try to rebalance things as much. Much as we can.
1: So is it is it in the end possible to to mix work and parenting or caring and, and staying sane?
0: Well, I think there's two bits of advice that stay with me. One is from a journalist I interviewed who's quite, is very, very well known in the UK. She writes to The Guardian called Zoe Williams. And she said, you have to remember there's a season for everything. And what she meant was you can't do everything at the same time. There are times when you can be really involved in work and times when you need to be really involved in other things in your life and that's okay. Um, so you have to accept. You know, Hopefully we have, as Linda Gratton says, a hundred year life. So we've got a lot of time and we can do things at different points within it. And the other thing, the second thing, which I always bear in mind is that I, I heard recently on a podcast, and I can't remember who said it, that there's very little link between success and happiness. That actually, you can be massively successful and completely miserable. um, And you could be not successful at all in terms of how we generally rate success in a capitalist society or in a professional world and be very happy and very content and, and have good relationships. And so, if we separate those two things, it liberates us to make choices that actually work for us as people and as part of society and as you know, I don't know, within relationships with our friends, our family, our partners, our kids in a very different way.
1: So when you um, visited the boardroom in, in Zurich, um, you know, recently, you know, we were doing this round of questions and a game that I really loved. And then we came to the conclusion that the biggest unifying fear of an executive is actually being publicly challenged. Remember? Um, so many people uh, admit that they would rather actually avoid speaking than risk getting into a conflict. So do you have any tips for us about how can we actually face and overcome this fear of being publicly challenged?
0: I think the first thing to bear in mind is that people challenge directly less often than you expect. And I know you'll think, well, you're British and the British can be very polite. As anyone who's worked with the British knows, they they can appear to be very polite, but also be subtly quite rude. Um, And you might think in other cultures, you know, Dutch culture, for instance, sort of famous for being more outspoken than the British. But still, people rarely challenge in a hostile way when you're speaking in whichever market you are people don't challenge as often as we expect them to. So that's one thing. So reassure yourself it doesn't happen as often as you think it does or you dream it does. The second thing is, you can go into any presentation prepared for somebody to challenge. If you know your subject, if you know who's in the room, you might be able to make an educated guess about who might challenge and then you can have an approach to deal with that. Now, as I said in the vlog, if humour is something that comes naturally to you and you're comfortable with, sometimes that can really help you. So you can make a joke and say, oh, I didn't expect anyone to raise that point when you knew that it was a problem. And then you just lean into the fact that you know that there are questions that need addressing. You can open questions up to the room. So I was doing a presentation before Christmas in London and somebody said, well, the research you shared about the lack of conflict between people who can work hybrid in offices and the people who can't in factories, you said that the research shows there's less conflict than we would expect, but that's not what I see in my business. And I don't think you understand how it really works out. And he was quite Grumpy, he was quite hostile about it. And so I said, Oh, okay. Uh, well, this is what the data is telling us, but what are other people's experiences in the room? And a woman at the back said, Well, I also run an organization that has factories and offices, and we have no conflict at all. So I'm wondering. So, firstly, I think Christine's data is correct, but also I'm wondering whether there are other things going on in your business. So, all the conflict between me and him, which could potentially have come out as now in the room, and other people were able to contribute and have a conversation, which is really nice.
1: So these are amazing tips. Thank you, Christine. That's fine. So, Christine, on on the podcast, we are writing, you know, the boardroom manual for the next generation of leaders. So we have this, you know, one last summary question that we ask, you know, all our guests. So what are the three qualities that, in your opinion, an executive must have in order to become a successful board member?
0: So Rob Cross is an American academic and he talks about his long-term study into what makes success professionally, whether you work in an organization or a freelance. And he says that it's the ability to energize your network. So if people ask you for help, they give you, you feel energized. There's a sort of energy transaction. So I think energy Um, And the ability to engage people is hugely important. I think the ability uh, to really listen and ask great questions, then really deeply listen to the answers is very important. And I think the ability to be able to hold the attention of the room and to make
1: a point with certainty is really essential. I love that. Thank you very much, Christine. So it was a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Thank you very much for your amazing insights, tips and advice. And um, I hope to see you again soon. Take care. Lovely to talk to you. That's it for today's episode. You can follow The Boardroom's mission on LinkedIn or visit our website. For more episodes, hit the subscribe button to secure your seat inside The Boardroom. Join us next month for another powerful masterclass in business excellence.